Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. So wonderful, so wonderful. You know, the early church uh, had a tradition that when they would greet each other, they would have this greeting where they would say, he is risen, and then the response would be, he is risen indeed. So I want to do that with you guys this morning. I'm going to say he is risen. I want you guys to respond with he is risen indeed, just to declare just the greatness and the majesty of our Savior's resurrection. He is risen. He is risen oh, fantastic. One more time. He is risen. Yeah, it's so great to be able to, I mean, today is what it's all about. Well, I have to admit, I had quite a few um, uh, funny stares this morning when people walked into church. I think it's the first time I've worn a suit uh, since I was installed as pastor here 13 years ago. And uh, I'm wearing this, this suit to make a point of my sermon illustration, uh, which I'll explain a little bit more um, in a little bit. In fact, a couple of people, they almost, they walked in, they actually thought they had the wrong church and almost walked out until they smelled the biscuits and then they just, they came back in and, 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 uh, and enjoyed. So, so this morning's gonna be a different Easter message than I've ever preached. It's probably gonna be a different type of an Easter message that you've ever heard. It'll probably be a different one than what you would expect this morning, on this Easter morning. Uh, typically, uh, an Easter message focuses either on the past or the future. Uh, I could have this morning focused on the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And I've I've taught that before. I've explained that before. And it it would be worthwhile. It's very important that we truly understand that Jesus truly died, that he was truly buried, and that he truly rose from the dead. That over 500 witnesses testified of seeing him in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension in any court of law how many you know 500 witnesses are overwhelming, completely overwhelming? Uh, we know that for the first, uh, first decades after Jesus' earthly ministry here, that there were many that, that died, that were martyred, clinging to the truth of his resurrection and died because of it. I mean, you don't die for a lie. If you're making it up, if it's not true, you recant and you go on with your life. But they didn't. They held with this. And then for the first few centuries, thousands gave their life as martyrdom to holding on to the historical reality, the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Even to this day, from Nigeria to Sri Lanka, we have people that are giving their life for the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can testify that he's made a difference in our life. One of the ways we know that he is risen is because of the difference that he makes in our life. And a skeptic might say, well, how can you, how can you count witnesses uh, from thousands of years ago? And how can you, how can you use personal experience as, as evidence for a resurrected Lord, for this resurrected Jesus? How could personal experience be a valid form of of identification with this and of believing this, but that same argument that a skeptic might have of that you can't use personal experience to to have to be evidence towards the resurrection Christ uses 
The personal experience of never seeing a resurrection. And so, because it's out of natural law, because I've I've never seen that, then therefore it must not be true. It's the same logic. So that wouldn't be substantiated. Well, it reminds me of of the first time the platypus was introduced to Europe. It was in the late 18th century, and somebody had brought a platypus, you know, a duck-billed platypus. It's about the size of a rabbit. It's furry. It has a bill like a duck. It has webbed feet, and it uh, reproduces like a reptile. And so it, uh, you know, lays eggs, but yet it's a mammal. It's confusing, isn't it? Well, it was to them as well, and that somebody brought one to London uh, to, to, from Australia, and and so many people didn't believe it. I mean, the evidence was there, they, but they had never, they had no frame of reference for it. They, they just couldn't believe it was true. It wasn't until they brought another one that was pregnant, they were able to take it apart and dissect it. They, they were finally able to convince skeptics that it wasn't just a sham, that it truly was a reality. And so I want to encourage you today that that if you're questioning the resurrection, if your experience would lead you to not believe there is such a thing, let me just say that the investigation isn't fully over yet. That if you will, if you will ask Jesus to, to reveal himself to you, to make himself real and known to you, I believe he will, and I believe that you will experience him like billions of others have, that he will truly make a difference in your life. We could focus on the past, on the historical reality of the resurrection, or we could point towards the future, towards the hope of our resurrection because of what Jesus has done for us. We could, we could point that direction, and it would be a great time. We would have a great time, a fantastic time, talking about the future implications of the resurrection, that the resurrection of Christ is the once and for all statement that Jesus keeps his promises. Because of the resurrection, Jesus does what he, he did what he said he will do, and he will do what he has said that he will do, that because he came once and he died on the cross for us, and he rose again, you know, the, the, the people of his day, he declared who he was, and they said, prove it. He said, all right. He said, destroy this body. He said, destroy the temple, and in three days I'll raise it back up. He was referring to his body. They crucified him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He kept his promise. And because he kept his promise, he's keeping his promises. And we could point towards that glorious future that we'll have in him, that we too someday will have a resurrected, glorified body, that we have the hope of heaven, that death does not have the final say, that death has lost its stinger, that it it doesn't have the final word because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has the final word. Life has the final word. We could focus on that. We could focus on the hope that we have in that today. And it would be very appropriate. It would be a very important part of this Easter story. But this morning, we're going to focus on the difference the resurrection makes in our life today. It makes a difference because our sins have been forgiven as we put our faith and trust in Christ. And if you haven't, today is your day. It makes a difference because of the future hope we have in him of the resurrection of of everyone that has put their faith in Christ, of eternal life. But it makes a difference for today as well. The very day today. Last week, if, if, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to that sermon or you can download the notes off our website, Grace417. I talked about the concept of old man and new man. Our old self and our new self. Our evil twin brother 
and the real us of who we really are in Christ Jesus and this struggle that goes on. And so it creates a context even for what we're talking about this morning. We've been in a series in Ephesians, and the first three chapters of Ephesians talks about all that Jesus has done for us, what he's purchased for us, what he's provided for us, the life that we can have in him. And now the, these, these chapters 4, 5, and 6 that we're in right now tell us how to live this life, how to live this life of Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that the, because of the resurrection, because of the difference it's, it makes in our life today, that we can live a life of the resurrected Christ, him in us and through us. And then next week and a few weeks after that, we're going to be talking about how it makes a difference in our families, how it makes a difference where we work, uh, how it, all the different areas that just practically living out this gospel message. So I want to invite you, you back for that. But as we talk about this old man and this new man, this old self and our new self, it, it's, it's like the water baptism we just did, that, that before we come to Christ, our old man, this old self, is, is, is when we put our faith in Christ, uh, he goes to the cross with Christ, and he identifies with the death of Christ, that he's nailed to the cross with Christ, that our old man is dead. That's why we do the, the baptismal waters. It shows that, that our old man is dead, we come to newness of life in Christ Jesus, that our old man was crucified on the cross, and our new self has been resurrected, has been born again. And the power to live this life comes from the resurrection of Christ, and the implications are, are amazing. Let's go to Romans. We have it on the screen up here. The context for this, before we get to Ephesians, is Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we know we are no longer should be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. How many know if you're dead, you don't sin, right? The dead body doesn't sin. And so being dead in Christ, that's, that's over, that's gone. Behold, we come in Christ, all things become new. We're a new creation in him. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus killed death through the resurrection. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's the clincher right here, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We put our faith and trust in Christ we spiritually were with him in that resurrection, that we have been resurrected into new life in him. First Peter, it says, we have been born again into a life full of hope through Christ rising from the dead. We have a life of hope, not just in the sweet by and by, although we're very, very thankful for that. We have a life of hope right now on this day, this Easter Sunday in April, right now here in Springfield, Missouri. As we've been talking about, in the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about the body of Christ. We've been talking about individually, we're the body of Christ, but corporately, we are the body of Christ. It's, several chapters in here talk about it. And I think one of the sometimes missing elements of the resurrection story, of the Easter story, that, that can be missed out on. And I want to focus on this this morning, and not just what happened historically, not just what it holds for our future, but that right here today, you and I are the resurrected body of Christ. 
Now, when you first hear that, you'd say, what? Like, because when we think of the body of Christ, we simply think of a physical body. And yes, his physical body was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill us. The early disciples at Pentecost, and we know he's available to us today. We know scriptures tells us that we, we're, we've, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We died. Our old man died on the cross. Our new man, the new us, the real you, who you are in Jesus has been risen with Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus is in you if you put your faith and trust in him. Therefore, we are the resurrected body of Christ. We are the body of Christ on planet earth right now. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, that he's living his life through us, and we're living our life through him, that we are the body of Christ. And that changes I, I, I don't mean changes indifferent. I mean, gives us um, fresh insight into this resurrection story. That it's not just past, it's not just future, it's right now. As we live this resurrected life, as we are the body of Christ, he is the head. Jesus is the head of the body, but we are the body of Christ. And so Paul here tells us, he, he tells us how to live. So the reason I'm wearing this suit today is to illustrate a point, to make a point that you wear certain clothes for certain occasions. And now, this is my Easter best. This is the, this is the best thing I have. And, and, and the resurrection is the best thing that we have. And it impacts every, everything. Now, I would not wear this to the beach. I guess unless I was doing a beach wedding, I wouldn't wear this to the beach. I also wouldn't wear my swimsuit to preach in, right? It doesn't, it doesn't match. When we go on missions trips, uh, we ask the, the, the country that we're going to, what is the dress of your culture? How should we dress when we get there? We have a team going to Colombia this week. Uh, pray for them as they go to South America. Um, they're preparing for, we're planning a trip this fall, hopefully. And so they're, they're doing, laying the groundwork on a scouting trip. Pray for them. They've already asked the missionary, how do we dress? Um, what do we need to do? Because different culture has different dress. We don't dress like the culture around us. And I'm not talking about physical clothes because this, this suit isn't more holy than a swimsuit. It's just fabric. But the culture around us has a way, has a lifestyle, has, a, has a, 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 like clothes, the way it lives. And we're part of another kingdom uh, because of the resurrection, because of our faith in Christ. We're now citizens of heaven. And there's a culture in the new family of Jesus. There's a way to live. And the New Testament talks about this. We take off the old way and we put on the new way, this resurrected way to live. That's not done in our own strength. That's not done in our own power, but it's done by the power of the resurrection. And so over and over, these, these ways that we're not to live are called our old self or, or our old man or these old garments. It's like, you know, when you ever just get clothes that maybe have gotten too small or too raggedy or too stinky or just too greasy or just too yucky, and you're like, this is time to get rid of this. This just doesn't fit. This just isn't me anymore. That's what Paul's talking about here. The, the new person of who we are in Christ Jesus, there's certain lifestyles, they just don't fit us. That's just not who we are. And so he continually tells us in the New Testament to take off these old ways like, a, like worn out clothes, like stinky clothes, like clothes that don't fit anymore and put on this resurrected life. Take off this unrighteousness and put on righteousness. And so here he tells us this, and we'll go to Ephesians chapter 4 now. 
And Paul says, starting in verse 20, he tells us here how to live this resurrected life. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, right? To take off those things. To put off this old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new. To be made new, this resurrected life, this renewing of our mind, that we're made new in Christ Jesus, in this attitude of our minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so now Paul is going to go through a list of what we would normally just think of behaviors, Okay, and he says, take off these things and put on these things. Take off these garments that don't fit, like lying, like cheating, like slander, like gossip, like anger. Take those things off and put on peace, uh, put on truth, put on love, put on self-control. That's the garments, that's the way of living this resurrected life. And if you're not careful, you could look at this as just a to-do list. You could look at it as just a moralistic way to live. But I'm telling you, it's more than that. It is not just what we do. It is actually our identity in Christ Jesus. And the way that we can live this way is because of what Christ has done on the cross and the resurrection. So here we go. There's, there's a longer list than what I'm going to tackle because this list is not all-inclusive. Okay, it's just Paul's given us a tasting of what this new life in Christ is like. So the first thing he says is verse 25. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. So take off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For all members of one body. Remember, we're the body of Christ. And so we speak truthfully to each other. We know that Satan is the, is the author. He's the father of lies. And when we speak falsehood, when we misguide, when we misdirect, that it, it actually gives the enemy of our soul access into our life, access into our families to wreak destruction. But we know that Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he is the life. And when we speak truthfully, when we're honest, when we're forthright, when we're not living lives of deception, we know that Scripture tells us that the truth will set us free. That Jesus will set us free. I'm telling you, you want to get like wrapped up, tangled up in life? Like, just don't be honest. Like, I learned as a kid, I could not be dishonest. I did not have a good enough memory. Like, I just can't remember. So I'm going to get exposed every time. I just can't remember all the lies. It's just so much easier to tell the truth. You don't have to remember anything. It's so easy. It's so great. National Geographic did a research, did research on why people lie, on why they lie. 8% are pathological. I mean, they have issues. It's, 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 it's serious. They need some serious help. 2% are social or polite lies, like this would make me look fat. Or doesn't that taste good? You know, so 2% are just these social lies, okay? 14% are to avoid people. Do you know that? Oh, sorry, I can't. I'm busy tonight. That's 14% of reason people lie. 22% is to avoid being exposed for wrong behavior. I didn't do it. I promise. I don't know who did it. 16%. Lie to gain economic advantage. This car runs great. No problems. 15% lie to get personal advantage. They want to be noticed. 8% lie to give a positive impression. So you tally, so you categorize those up, and about 75% of the reasons people lie 
are to protect themselves from justified consequences or to gain something that is not their own. And Paul's here saying that's not how resurrected people live. That's not the clothes that God has intended for us. We're truth tellers. We trust God to, to, to take care of us. I'm telling you when, you, when you're truthful and you suffer consequences, you change your behavior because it hurts and it's painful. And you trust God that you don't have to lie to, for economic advantage, that He supplies all of our needs, that He takes care of us, that there's more than enough in the kingdom of God. And so this lying, this living this way is like throwing out filthy clothes that just don't fit anymore. Truth is the language of the kingdom. Truth, speaking the truth in love, is the language of the resurrected body of Christ. And so we take off falsehood and we, we put on truth. We take, off all, we take off anger and put on peace. Uh, verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We all experience anger. I mean, we do. We all experience anger. Anger itself is not the problem. It's what you do with the anger that's the issue. We are very committed here at Grace to emotionally healthy discipleship, to um, to, and that means being right relationship with God and being a right relationship with others. That the Christian life is not just vertical and it's not just horizontal. It's both. And one of the tools we use are some classes that are called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, dealing with this, and Emotionally Healthy Relationships that deal with this. And, and it's part of our discipleship process here. And, and as, going, as I've been going through this, this class and I've, been, I've taught it now. Uh, th- there's a truth that I was exposed to that has had huge implications on my life. And it's called the, the anger iceberg. Let me, let me show this to you because we're, we're talking about anger right now, how you respond to it. So here's the anger iceberg. You know how an iceberg works. There's a little bit at the top above the surface, but there's so much more that you don't see that's below it. Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is typically a result of something else. So here's some examples of what might be generating anger in our life. Humiliation, hurt, frustration, rejection, fear. So we have these things going on in our life, and and so often the response is in anger. What the Lord wants us to do is when we experience this emotion, is that we bring it to Him and we help Him resolve it in us of what's really going on. It's like, you know, you may lash out at somebody in your family, but if you were to really just step back a little bit, you would know that, well, maybe, I'm, maybe I had a really bad day at work, and I'm frustrated at work, I'm frustrated with my boss, and I took it out on my kid. Or I'm frustrated because of finances, or I'm fearful of the future, and so I just respond in this way, or maybe you withdraw, however your fear would manifest. And so what he's saying is this, that's not... That's not how we live in the new, this new family of Jesus. We deal with these things. We, 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 we address them. We look at them in our life. You know, a common phrase is, you made me so angry. Oh, that person made me so angry. The reality is that nobody has the power to make you angry. Expressing anger is a choice that you make. You have to own it before you can put it off. You have to say, this stinky coat is mine. This anger reeks. I need to take it off in Jesus and put on peace and ask Him for help. See, people in our lives ought to be just as safe with us when we're angry as when we're not angry. People should not have to protect themselves from us because we're having a bad day. 
The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger, on your wrath. Like, deal with it. Address it. Get it resolved. It says here in this verse that don't, don't, let, don't give the devil a foothold. Anybody here ever, been, went, anybody here ever went rock climbing? Uh, I like to rock climb. I'm not very good at it at all. Heather's so much better at it than I am. But several years ago, we, were, we went to Colorado for our, our anniversary to celebrate. And we had a week there. And we hired a professional rock climbing guide to help us. And it was really good because I didn't kill myself. And so I'm really glad. It was worth the money. And Heather could just scale right up the rocks. And for me, I was a little bit slower. And, and I, I just didn't have the upper body strength and the finger strength. I mean, I couldn't pull myself up on rocks. But if I could get a footing for my foot, if I could just get a little sliver of rock on my foot, I could push myself up. I could get leverage. And that's how the enemy is. He's just looking for a way to get leverage. And our anger gives him that, just that place to get access. I mean, some of us, we have like this huge ledge, and we just let him camp in our lives. And we don't want to do that either, but, but when we notice the enemy's getting access, we notice, we see these responses in our life, which that's when we're so thankful for the cross of Jesus, for forgiveness, because none of us are perfect, that we would come to Jesus and we would say, Jesus, that's under the blood. Forgive me of that. I confess that. Resolve this. Lord, I know this is not who I am in you. Help me live like the person that I am in you. And we have that because of the resurrection, that if we have peace with God, if we're right with God, we have peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. And if we have the peace of God, then we can live at peace with others as much as it's up to us. We can live that way. And then thirdly, we, uh, we put off theft, thievery, um, taking things that aren't ours. We take those off and we put on generosity. Verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must still no longer. See, I told you this wasn't a normal Easter message. What did your pastor preach on on Easter? Not to steal. Wow, really? But I'm telling you, this has, this has great implications. Just hold on here. Okay, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Right? The culture around us, I mean, if you can take it, if it's for the taken, take it. You can do shady things here and there. Shave things off. You know. Make things bigger than they really are. Discount things like they not are. I mean, just mislead. Don't get caught. No one will ever know. He's saying that's not the life we live. That's, that's not what it's like to live a resurrected life in this new family of Jesus. See, if you're taking something like that that's not yours, if you're misleading, if you're, see, you're, you're not putting your trust in Jesus. It's not just up to you and I about what we can produce for our own lives or for our family. Jesus is our resource. He is our provider. And Jesus even said, he said, you're going to have to choose. Are you going to serve money? Or are you going to serve me? Which is it? The God of this world, the God of money, the God of greed, Take, 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 or of Jesus, of what he's provided, knowing that he'll take care of all of our needs according to his riches and glory that he provides for us. But let me take this just a step further. Not that we wouldn't just steal, but are you known as a taker or a giver? Would people know you as a taker? Would somebody surprise you as a taker or a giver? Do you bring value and generosity to the relationships that you're in? 
Would somebody describe you that way? We know Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've been on the giving end, you know that's true. And if you've been on the receiving end, although it's great to receive, you know it's even better to be able to give, to be in that kind of position. But then look where he goes even further. He goes even further and he says, don't just work to take care of your own needs, but to help others. That part of the motivation of why we work, why we generate income, is to help others. So when you go to work tomorrow, I just wonder how much of your motivation of going to work tomorrow is so that you'll have money to help others. I mean, that's not how we typically think, is it? But that's what it's like living in this new kingdom of Jesus, this family of Jesus, this this body of believers, this, this resurrected life of Christ that is not just about us, but it's about what Christ wants to do through us. That part of our motivation is helping others. These garments of generosity. And the fourth one is put off gossip and put on encouragement. Verse 29 puts it this way. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the question is here, do your words destroy or do your words encourage? Do your words tear down or do your words build up? We know the power of life and death is in our tongue, that we speak life or we speak death to those around us. And it can happen so easily that we slip or we, we tear people. I mean, I know even for me, even yesterday, I, I know I, 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 I just lost it on one of, my, one of my kids. I just, I wasn't acting like Jesus. I wasn't living a resurrected life. I, I spoke words that tore down instead of built up. And you know what's so sad about that is you can't take it back. I mean, you can ask for forgiveness, but you can't take it back. And so it's so important that we live this life of surrender to Jesus, that, that we really can be who He's called us to be through the power of the resurrection. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean He's conforming us to the image of Christ, to His body, and that hopefully, day by day, we begin to look more and more and more like Jesus. And what about using our words for the needs of others? Isn't it true that so often when we talk to others, it's what we can get from them? The motive of conversation is to meet our needs or our agenda, what we have going on. But he's actually saying, frame your conversations to discover what it is that the person that you're talking to needs, and then use your words to build up that person, to strengthen them. I mean, this is a great way to live, isn't it? Who, anybody else want to be in a family like this? Absolutely. This is the family of Jesus. This is the body of Christ. This is the resurrected life that he's called us to. And so here he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, growing up Pentecostal, charismatic, I always heard grieving the Holy Spirit is involved to, you know, a pastor who didn't let everybody do what they wanted to do during the service, right? They're grieving the Spirit. I don't know if you ever heard that or not, but that's the kind of church I grew up in. But that's not even the context for this. He's saying, you don't want to grieve the Spirit by the way you treat one another. By the way you treat each other, that that you can actually sadden the Holy Spirit. You can actually cause a a withdrawing, and let me qualify that in just a second, of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the, the Lord's always with us. We know that, I mean, He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But have you ever been in a conversation or situation, and it just makes you sad? And it just makes you uncomfortable. And you just kind of want to just, you know what? I'm just going to back out of this. I'm just going to, 
I think that's how it happens with the Holy Spirit in our life. Not with, I mean, we're saved, we belong to Him. I'm talking about that closeness of communion. I'm talking about that walking in the Spirit. I'm talking that just being so, so, so close to Jesus by the presence of His Holy Spirit in our life that you can lose that edge of that. You can lose that closeness. You can, because you agree, but the way you, the way you treat somebody truly has implication on your relationship with the Lord. It truly does. And so we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I need all the Holy Spirit I can get in my life. I mean bad. I need Him. I don't want to do anything that would cause Him grief. I don't want to do that. And so here we see the last verse of chapter 4. He really tells us what the resurrected life is like. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He's saying this is who you really are in Christ Jesus. This is the resurrected life. You are a controlled person who doesn't lie, who speaks the truth in love. You no longer are greedy, but you're generous. You choose love and joy over anger and bitterness. You build people up. You don't tear people down. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. You're not somebody who's trying to act lovingly. You are a loving person. Because of the power of the resurrection in your life. You're not trying to learn anger management. You have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit in your life. These are not things to do. This is not a list of things to do. This is Paul telling the Ephesians and telling you and I who we are in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. And that we're walking this out in the process of becoming this person. And it's all because of the resurrection. He's saying, shake off those grave clothes. Shake off that old way of living. That's not what he has. Because we have life in Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because we are in him, because we are the resurrected body of Christ, we need to wear resurrection clothes. We need to wear our Easter best. We need to live the life, not in our own strength, not in our own power, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the resurrected life living through us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? As I've not only touched on the historical reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and touched on the future hope of heaven that we have in Him, there's implication for right now, right here in this moment for you. If you've come here today and maybe you knew the Lord, maybe you walked with Him, maybe you have been close to Him and you strayed, like Isaiah says, we all like sheep have, have astrayed and we've all gone our own way. That, that this morning, the great shepherd Jesus is bringing you back. He's drawing you back. Maybe you've not put your faith and trust in him. Today, this Easter Sunday is your day to experience new life in Christ, for your sins to be forgiven, to experience his resurrection life in the here and now. Jesus said, I have come to give you life, life in the fullest, and it starts right now. This is that resurrected life. And so if you're here today and you would like to, to pray, even where you are, I'm just going to have you pray where you are, but if you'd like to pray, you'd like to, to pray a prayer of confession to Christ, of acknowledging He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross and He rose again, ask for forgiveness, ask for your sins to be covered by the blood of Christ and to receive eternal life. If that's you, I want to I pray with you. Would, you. would you slip your hand up right where you are? I'm not going to have you come forward. 
But I, I just want to know who you are. I want to pray. Okay, I see right there. There's some more, I believe. Anybody else would say, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to walk with him. I want to, I want to be close to him. I want to be restored to Jesus. Yeah. Would you guys, can we just, can we just do this together? Would you just pray this prayer with me? And if this is you, just believe this. Just put your faith and trust in this. Just say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I receive salvation right now. You may be receiving it for the first time, or you may be receiving it as a continual act of faith of, of not just being saved or have been saved, but being saved right now. And just pray to say, Jesus, I receive salvation. I receive newness of life. I thank you for forgiveness of sin. I thank you for a home in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name. Church, family, can you say amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.